Good evening and God bless you this evening. It's good to be here. I'm looking forward to the communion service on Sunday morning and also looking forward to our service this evening. I'd like to begin by reading um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You may turn with me there. I think I'll begin in verse 17. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. I'm going to read this um, from the Holman Bible translation. It's very similar to the King James, so you can follow along in your King James. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Now, in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when ye come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when ye come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal each one eats his own supper ahead of others. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself. In this way, he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we are properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. And I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. Sometimes it's, I don't know if the word is comforting or um, assuring maybe when we read these things in the Scriptures and we recognize that even the churches under Paul's care and the Corinthian church and some of those other churches way back at the beginning of the church had some of the same problems that we have. But uh, we want to take some lessons from what Paul is, is telling us tonight as we think about coming together for communion and examining ourselves and doing an inventory of our lives and preparing ourselves to partake of the bread and the cup. In this passage, Paul 
is sharply rebuking the Corinthians for the way they have been coming together to commemorate the Lord's Supper. That's that's really what he's saying here. He says that uh, when they were coming together, it was for the better. It wasn't for the better, it was for the worst. He said they were coming to the communion service with divisions and with uh, quarrelings and strife in their midst. Instead of eating together in remembrance of Christ, each was doing his own thing. And one is eating because he is hungry, he says, and another is getting drunk and so on. It, it seems like this observance of the Lord's Supper in the Corinthian church had become a disorderly, light-hearted type of gathering. And in verse 20, Paul says, when you come together in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. What he's saying there, in other words, is, is when you gather in the way that you have been gathering like this, you really are not observing true communion of Christ. You may be eating and drinking, but this is not how you observe the communion, is what he is saying in verse 20. We come to the communion table in togetherness, in unity, Paul is saying, with one spirit, with one heart, remembering the Lord, our Lord and Savior, proclaiming his suffering and death, thanking him for his love for us. So as we are together this evening and thinking about looking forward, preparing ourselves for the communion service on Sunday morning, in preparing for communion, I think it is in order for us to think about why we have communion. In the writings of Menno Simons, he gives three reasons of why we have communion for the Lord's Supper. And I'd like to look at each one of them briefly. I'll just give them to you. First of all, he says, it is a holy sacramental sign instituted of the Lord himself in bread and wine and left to his disciples in remembrance of him. Secondly, it is an emblem of Christian love, of unity and of peace in the church of Christ. And third, it is a communion of the flesh and blood of Christ. First of all, communion, he says, is a sign, a sacramental sign. Let's think a little bit about communion being a sign or a, a symbol. We know that when we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, like we'll be doing on Sunday morning, there is no merit in doing that in itself. Yet it, it signifies a deep spiritual truth. It's something physical that we do to remind ourselves of the spiritual and eternal principle behind it. We practice more of these symbols. We, we, the sisters wear a head covering. Uh, we practice the holy kiss and baptism and uh, Feet washing, anointing with oil. There's, there's, there, those are all physical things that we practice, that we do, and each of those are a symbol of a great spiritual truth. I believe God told us to do these things so that those great eternal principles that He has given us, so that those things are put on display and to continually remind us of them. In verse 26, Paul says, if I can find it here, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. 
We partake of the Lord's Supper to put His amazing sacrifice on display within the church. It's a reminder to us that He gave us everything that He had. His love had no limits. He was willing to pour out His blood and to sacrifice His body, His life, for the church. Men of Simon says that another reason for having communion is that we think about it is an emblem of Christian love, of unity and peace in the church of Christ. Paul says here in verse 33 of chapter 11 that we, we read, he says, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. In chapter 10, verse 17, Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, he says, For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. We being many are one bread and one body. In chapter 12, verse 13, he says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether it be Jews, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. In John chapter 17, when Jesus was talking with his disciples just before his crucifixion, before they went into the garden, Jesus' prayer for his disciples was that they would be one so that the world would know that he had been sent by God. His desire was that they would experience the same oneness, the same kind of fellowship that he experienced with his own father. That is still his prayer and desire for the church. The communion service is an expression of that fellowship and that unity that we can have. The fellowship and the love that we experience as believers, as a congregation, that is a direct result of Jesus' sacrifice and his love for us. That is what we rally around. It is Jesus and his sacrifice. That is our fellowship. First John 1 John 1.3 That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What is it that John, that they had seen and heard that he was declaring to the church that he was writing to? It was nothing other than Jesus that is whom they had seen. That is who they had heard. That is who is declaring unto them. And he says, that is why you can have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is the fellowship of those who know and love Jesus. And it is only for those who love and obey Jesus. I was reading some of the Anabaptist writers uh, as I was preparing for this sermon from the Reformation era, they were talking about the subject of communion or the Lord's Supper as they usually refer to it. One of the themes that comes through again and again as you read these the, the Anabaptists from right around the time of the Reformation is the theme of the Lord's Supper being about the fellowship, the unity of the believers. They saw partaking of communion as an act of brotherhood, as, as a, 
an experience of unity and commitment of love and sacrifice to the body, to the church. Let me read a few of their uh, their excerpts here. The first one is something that Conrad Grebel wrote, and I was actually surprised by what he says here. But this this is what he says. The supper is an expression of fellowship, not a mass and sacrament. Therefore, none is to receive it alone, neither on his deathbed nor otherwise. Neither is the bread to be locked away, etc., for the use of a single person, since no one should take for himself alone the bread of those in unity, unless he is not one with himself, which no one is. So I'm not sure what you think about that. But according to Conrad Grebel, is, is he felt so strong about the Lord's Supper and the partaking of the communion is, is that he said it shouldn't even be served to somebody by themselves when they're on their deathbed and they can't come to church. I, I was surprised by that, but that's how he felt about it. Um, Hans Schlafer, I don't know who he was, but this is what he had to say in 1527. The body of Christ is the faithful community of Christ. Whoever eats of this bread in the supper of the Lord testifies that he desires to have fellowship with and to participate in all things with the body of Christ. That is, he commits himself to the community in all things, in love and suffering, wealth and poverty, honor and dishonor, sorrow and joy, death and life. Indeed, that he is ready to give life and limb for the brothers as Christ gave himself for him. Similarly, with the cup in the blood of Christ, whoever drinks of this cup has first surrendered himself and testifies with it that he is prepared to pour out his blood for the sake of Christ and his church insofar as faith and the test of love demands it. So it's very clear. They, they saw the participation of the Lord's Supper as an act of brotherhood, as an act of commitment, of, of giving myself for my brother. This was not something individual. It was not something that, that uh, groups of people do on their own. It was the body. It was the church. It was the community of believers doing it together. And it was a commitment. It's so the, the togetherness and the, the one and other is so tied into the communion service when you read their writings that they don't separate it. Okay, the third one that uh, Menno Simon gives is that the communion is uh, that the the bread and the taking of the bread and the cup is communion of flesh of the flesh and blood of Christ, and he gets that directly from 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul says, can't find the verses right now. I read one of them before. Verse 16 in 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. This communion or this koinonia, we, we, we know that Greek word fairly well. It, it's, it's the word communion here. It's also the word fellowship. 
sometimes used in the, as fellowship. It's this, this koinonia of the flesh and the blood of Christ is speaking of us being made partakers of Christ himself. That is what I believe uh, Men of Simons is talking about, and that is what I believe Paul is talking about. This, this communion of the flesh and the blood of Christ it's, it's partaking of himself. As believers, we enter into fellowship with him. It's not just fellowship with us, with one another. It's, that's, that's certainly part of it, but it's also entering into the fellowship of Jesus Christ himself. He has accepted us into his love. We abide in him. He abides in us. Hebrews 3.14 For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. If we are faithful, we are made partakers of Christ. 2 Peter 1.4 Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. When we take part in the communion service, when we eat of the Lord's Supper, it reminds us it is it is taking part of Christ's nature. It is a reminder that we are in Christ. It is a reminder to us that we can have closeness, we can have fellowship with Him, even so far that Jesus has placed His own nature into our hearts. We are the branches connected to the vine through which that life is flowing. Divine life is flowing into our beings. This is what Jesus is talking about in John 6 when he says, Jesus said to the Jews or to his disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about being partakers of his divine nature. If we don't abide in him and he doesn't abide in us, there's no life there. There's no connection there. We're going to die. The communion service reminds us of that life that we have in Jesus Christ. The words that I speak unto you, he said, they are spirit and they are life. So as we think about these things, the communion service being a reminder, being a symbol of the sacrifice that Jesus made, the way that he poured out his life for our sins on the cross it is that. Then it also it is a reminder to us of the fellowship that we have in Him with each other. We have a unity. We have a closeness that is unparalleled in any other relationship with humans. It's the only way that, that we could ever have this kind of relationship as a body of believers is only because Jesus gave His life for us. That's that's our life. That's our fellowship. And then also reminds us that we are partakers of his divine nature. And as we think about these things and the eternal truth that this eating of bread and drinking of wine represent, 
these great eternal truths, then it, it really behooves us to examine our lives so that we come and we're prepared and we eat and drink worthily. As Paul says here in chapter 11, he says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that drink bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Back in chapter 10, in verse 21, he says, Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. That is why we come together for a service like this, to examine our own hearts, to take counsel, to have communion. Um, we don't look at each other like our human tendency is, is, is to examine each other, but we're to examine our own lives. Yes, we help each other along in life and we, we do um, give correction and so on to, our, to each other, but we are here to examine our own hearts. And to ask ourselves if we are experiencing, if we are participating, if we are partaking, I should say, of the divine nature of Jesus Christ. Is that life flowing into our being? Are we experiencing the fellowship that we are called to have with each other? Are we remembering the pain, the suffering, the death, the way that Jesus poured out his life for us, we get sick and we get we, we run into all kinds of physical problems in life. We, we live in a fallen world and we know what it's like. We experience pain, physically speaking. We also sometimes need healing spiritually. I was reminded of the verse in Jeremiah where he said, is there not a balm in Gilead? Is there not a physician there? That's the, it's a rhetorical question that he asks. The answer is yes and yes. There is a balm in Gilead. There is a physician there. And that's the blessing that when we do fall and when we do become spiritually ill or um, get a spiritual flu, maybe we could say, hopefully we're not weak and sickly all the time, but sometimes we do just as we get physically ill, sometimes we, we get spiritually sick. Then we look to our physician, to the balm of Gilead, and we can be restored. We can be forgiven. There's power in examining our hearts and confessing our sins and preparing, being open and honest with the brotherhood and coming to the communion table in that way. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.